It's time once again for another look into God's infallible book, and we want to welcome you again to uh, this edition of The Riches of Grace. My name is Richard Jordan, and it's my privilege to be your Bible teacher and host each week as we gather around this uh, radio microphone in order to study the Word of God, look into the Scriptures, and allow the Spirit of God to teach us through His Word. We've been studying uh, and, and uh, looking at, at some issues in the Word of God about salvation. Uh, you know, salvation, uh, to be delivered, that's what the Bible's really all about. And uh, salvation from the penalty of sin is an issue that every person needs to face. Salvation from the penalty of sin uh, is what provides us with peace with God, acceptance with God, and peace with one another. The penalty of sin is separation from God, death, hell, and the lake of fire, eternal separation from God. It also causes us to be separated and alienated from one another. Sin is a big issue in the Bible and in the life of people. That's why it's an issue in the Bible. The Bible is about the things that affect your life and are about you. Salvation from the penalty of sin in the Bible comes through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ at Calvary, the Bible says, God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You understand salvation, deliverance from the penalty of your sin is not going to come through uh, blaming the past, you know, mommy didn't potty train me right, or that kind of stuff, or someone did something, you know, some, somebody done me wrong kind of thing in the past. Blaming the past, blaming others, shifting responsibility away from yourself. You see, the reason that shame and, and, and fear and, and uh, humiliation come because of sin is we know down in our inner man, down in our heart, that we are guilty. Maybe someone did something terribly wrong to us. In fact, no doubt they have. And yet we know down inside of us. Have you ever, you ever had somebody do something wrong to you and then you felt guilty because you felt like it was your responsibility? That comes from that old sin nature. That comes from being a part of, the, of, of a fallen creation. And that's one of the penalties of sin. Salvation, deliverance from that kind of thing, doesn't come through what you're going to do because you've already demonstrated yourself to be a failure. It's not going to come by what someone else does for you because they have demonstrated themselves to be failures. They can't take care of their own stuff, much less yours. No. The God of creation, the one who made everything, God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is only tied to one event in human history. God's love for you is not tied to the status of your finances or your romantic life or your financial situation. It's tied to an event that took place 2,000 years ago on a little hill outside of Jerusalem called Golgotha. God commended his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, you weren't trying to make it better. You weren't going to church and keeping commandments and rituals and rites and, and ceremonies. You weren't turning over a new leaf. You weren't you you were still in your rebellion. You see, that's what commends God's love to us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death. What I deserve, what you deserve because of our sin is death. And that death isn't just death of our outer man. You know that. It's death of the inner man. We have an outer man, the outward man. We have the inward man. And the outward man will die. You go out and bury it in the ground, become a carnival for maggots, the book of Job says. And um, they'll plant you in a skull orchard somewhere, just like you've planted others. That's the physical death. 
But when you stand by that coffin and look at that, that earthly house of this tabernacle that, that your loved one lived in, you know that they're not there. You know there's something, there's a part of them that went somewhere else. And that's what the Bible says that the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and whoremongers and sorcerers and people say, well, Brother Rick, I'm not any of those kind of things. Then the next one says, and all liars. Well, that gets all of us, doesn't it? And all liars shall have their part. Here's what your lying gets for you. Their part, not somebody else's part, your own part, in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is, listen, the second death. Now, how, do you, how can you be rescued from that second death, the death of your inner man, separation from God for eternity, time and eternity? Well, that's what Jesus Christ did at Calvary when he died for us. You see, when the Bible says that the good news is that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, he was buried and raised again the third day, according to the Scripture, the testimony of the Word of God is that God put away your sin, my sin, by the sacrifice of himself. Rather than giving you something to do that you couldn't do, he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And salvation from the penalty of sin is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Then there's salvation from the power of sin. A man told me one time, and it's certainly true, he said, you know, Brother Rick, I... I can't worry about it. See, I can't get through. I'm, I'm having trouble getting through today. <laughs> and you see, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access, Romans 5, 2 says, by faith into this grace when we stand. There's present tense. You see, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, God gives you eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But that eternal life through Jesus Christ, the Lord, but that eternal life doesn't begin when you and go to heaven. That eternal life begins the moment you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. That moment, he takes away your sin. He settles forever your sin debt, and then he gives you his life. He puts away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and then he implants his life into you the moment you trust him. So there's the finality of the cross work that settles the sin debt, and then there's the reality of life in Christ Jesus. And that's why Romans 5, verse number 10 says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more. That isn't all that happens to you when you trust Christ. You don't just change from being an enemy to a friend of God. Much more being reconciled, being his friend, we shall be saved by his life. You see... Salvation in time, the Christian life in time, isn't, okay, now I'm delivered from hell, now I need to go out and show God what a good deal he got when he got me. The Christian life in time is really the life of Christ living in me. It's his life. You remember Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the verse where Paul says, For I am crucified with Christ. That's the present reality. I'm dead with him. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not living my life, by my life, by my energy, by my resources. My life is really just the extension of his life, his resources, his provisions, who God has made me in his Son. Who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption? and dozens of other wonderful things. We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, been made complete in him. Did you ever hear a preacher tell you or somebody tell you that now that you've trusted Christ, you've gotten saved, you need to go and do some religious activity so you can 
continue to please God, that without this certain religious denominational doctrinal uh, ceremony, you can't really please God if you don't tithe, if you don't get water baptized, if you don't whatever it is, then you can't really please God and have God's blessing in your life. My friend, the Bible says the moment you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, he puts his life in you, and he blessed you that instant with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and he made you complete in him. You don't need anything else. And if you never give one dime to a religious organization, if you never let one preacher put one drop of water on you, you're just as blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus as if you'd done that a thousand times over a day. You see, our activity as believers has nothing to do with our gaining God's blessings. It has to do with the fact that we have God's blessings. And we're saved in time from the power of the self-life and the power of sin, not by focusing on our sins, People say, well, you know, you need to confess your sins to get God to forgive you. But that's what he did when I trusted Christ. Listen, the only answer to sin in your life or anyone else's life in time or eternity is the blood of Jesus Christ. Your confession, your resolutions are not going to answer your sin. The blood of Christ does that. And if his blood doesn't do it completely and totally, you're hopeless. You ever think about the fact when First John 1, 9 says, that he's faithful and just to forgive us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you ever thought about that verse? How many times can you be cleansed from all unrighteousness? That's right, one time. Well, that verse is not talking about the daily activity of a believer in time. In fact, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, when he talks about little children, you know that your sins are forgiven you. 1 John 1, 1.9 is talking about what it takes for those people uh, to, to get their sins forgiven, to be cleansed from all iniquity. Now somebody, you know, says, well, Brother Rick, you can, you can be cleansed of all your iniquity every time you have some. But you see, that's the whole point. When you trust Christ and God puts you in his son, you don't have any more sin because Jesus Christ died for all of them, past, present, and future. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 4. When he says, even as David also describes the blessedness of a man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man, listen, to whom the Lord will not impute sin. You see, God isn't going around following you around, watching every mistake you make so you can write it down on some big chalkboard in the sky, and then watching, if you don't confess it, come, you know, look around for a way to conk you in the noggin with a Coke bottle and inflict some punishment on you. He took care of your sin at Calvary. He threw the chalkboard away, <laughs> and he deals with you in his son. And your life in time isn't going to be lived as a believer based on your religious performance. It's going to be lived based on the life that God put in you. And you say, well, how do I get that life in me? Paul says, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, God took his life, put it into our body of flesh. And then that life lives out through us as we live day by day, just as Jesus Christ lived when he was in his flesh on the earth. How did he live? 
He, the, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus Christ lived in complete, total dependence on the will and the word of his Father. He says over there in John 5, without my Father, I can do nothing. He said, the works that I do, these are the works the Father gave me to do. The words that I say, these are the words that the Father gave me to do. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, he was obeying his Father. John chapter 10, Jesus told some people, he says, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down. I take it up. Listen, this commandment have I received of my Father. When Jesus Christ went to Calvary, he did it in faith, trusting and believing in his Father's will. He lived in complete, total dependence on the will of his Father. That's the way he lived that way to demonstrate to you and me that that's how God in human flesh would live. So that now that Jesus Christ is in us, how does he want to live? By our daily walk in complete and total dependence on the word of God to us. We're saved from the power of sin in our life by the life of Christ. Now today, and that's a long introduction, isn't it? Wow, I've gone 13 minutes and, and uh, we hadn't even got to the study today. But that's important to understand. We're also saved from the presence of sin. Just as we're saved from the penalty of sin by the blood of Christ, and we're saved from the power of sin by the life of Christ living in us, we're saved from the presence of sin by the coming of Christ. And Romans 5 verse 2, he goes on, he says, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. When you see hope in Paul's epistles, in fact, almost everywhere in the Bible, is talking about the coming of Christ, the culmination of God's plan of salvation and redemption when it comes to fruition. You see, salvation is in three phases. There's the past tense, justification, saved from the penalty of sin through the blood of Christ, being declared righteous. Then there's the present tense, salvation in time. And that's being saved from the power of sin through the life of Christ. That's what we call the doctrine of sanctification. The Bible calls it that. Then there is the future tense of salvation, ultimate culmination of salvation, when we get our resurrection body and go into the heavens to share in the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Uh, Philippians chapter number 3, there's a verse of Scripture that's really wonderful in this regard about the hope of rejoicing and hope of the glory of God. Colossians 3, Paul says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we appear with him in glory. Now, in that, in that context, glory is a place, but it's also a condition that we're going to be in while we're in that place. Philippians chapter 3 says it this way, verse number 20 and 21. And boy, if you wanted to write two verses down and memorize them this week, these would be two great verses. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things, unto himself. You see that issue about going to have, he's going to change our vile body. Now you know you have a body that could easily be described as vile. Now I know, you know, you paint it up, primp it up, clean it up, and, and, and uh, you know, 
fix it up the best you can. But that's because you know that if you don't, it goes the other way, don't you? You know, the, the perfume industry is a, is a billion-dollar industry in the world today. You know why that is? Well, go three or four days without taking a bath, and you'll know why it is, won't you? You see, we have a, we have a body that 1 Corinthians 15 describes this way. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. It, our body, is sown in corruption. It disintegrates. It's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. Someone has said death is the dishonorable discharge of the old man. It's a vile body. It's a body that degenerates. It's raised in glory. You're going to be raised with a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. Shakespeare put the word in his character when he said sleep, oh, sleep that gathers babbling sleep of time. It's sown in weakness. And we have to we, we let it away because we have to lay down and succumb to that weakness, if nothing else, through sleep. It's raised in power. It's on a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. You see, you're going to have a, a tremendous change. That's why he says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We're going to receive this glorious, this glorified resurrection body. Now, if you go back to Philippians 3, I want you to notice something. The, glorify, the glorious body that you're going to receive is a, is a special body. Now, there are a lot of people in the Bible that are going to be resurrected into resurrection bodies. Your body and my body as members of the body of Christ. We're going to get a, uh, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body according. Here's the, the standard by which our glorified body is going to be measured. According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, we don't have the time in this study to go over all that, but just think about what it says there. According to the standard by which our glorified body is going to be created is the working whereby he, God, is able to subdue all things unto himself. Now, if you write by that verse, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 to 20, you'll have a cross-reference that will help you. When it says he's going to subdue all things, the all things there... Are bring it to subjection under the headship of Jesus Christ all things. Colossians one sixteen says that by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. That's Genesis one one. Whether they're visible or invisible, things here you can see, things out there in the heavens you can't. Whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all those things, all those positions of governmental authority in the universe were created by him and for him. Now they've been usurped by by a usurper today. But God's plan of salvation is to restore the headship of Jesus Christ over all those positions of authority in all of the universe. And we're going to be given a glorified body whereby he's able to subdue not just the things in the earth like he'll do with the nation Israel, but also the things in the heavenly places. You see, the, the very purpose of the body of Christ is to extend the headship of Christ, not just around planet Earth. That's what he gave man that job to do. You remember Genesis 1? He told Adam, go out and subdue the earth. Well, Adam is going to go out and subdue the earth, but there's still all that angelic realm that isn't, doesn't have anyone to subdue it because man can't do that. Man's created lower than the angels. So he creates a new species of humanity, the church, the body of Christ. That's why you're called a new creature. You're called the one new man. You have, you have such a special relationship with God today as a member of the church, the body of Christ. And ultimately, he's going to use us in the heavenly places 
to extend the headship of Jesus Christ all throughout the government of the, of the heavens. That's why in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, don't you know that you're going to judge, you're going to reign over angels? And that's the purpose for the church, the body of Christ. Ultimately, God's intention, God has one ultimate goal in his creation. When Jesus Christ stepped out in Genesis 1 and created the heaven and the earth, they had got, the Godhead had a plan to exalt the glory of the Father through the Son by the working of the Spirit in a creation, heaven and earth. One goal, to make Jesus Christ the head of all things in two spheres, the heaven and the earth, through two agencies, the nation Israel and the earth, the body of Christ in the heavens. That's the essence of, 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 of what the Bible is about. And Paul says that's going to be accomplished for us when Jesus comes for us and at the resurrection. You understand, sin is not going to win in your life or on this planet. And one day, God is going to come and accomplish his purpose. You say, why hasn't it happened yet? Because he isn't finished in the formation of the church, the body of Christ. He hadn't come to the place where that's on the program yet. And we just patiently, therefore, wait. What a prospect, child of glory, doth the future hold in store. By the wildest flights of fancy, thou canst never ask for more. Heir of God, join heir forever with his own beloved son. God, to you could not have promised more of bliss than he's done. You know, my friend, if your faith, if your religion, if your, if your religious system, if your faith system doesn't secure eternity for you, it's really useless. I mean, you might as well just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die, and you face eternity without any hope. In the Word of God, there's hope. In Jesus Christ, there's hope, not just for the to clear up the past, and not just to live in the present, but for all eternity. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. You know, you could fool me, you can fool others, you can fool yourself sometime, but you can't fool God. And on that resurrection day, he knows those that are his, and those are the ones he'll resurrect. And the ones that are his, the way you become his, it isn't you trying, it isn't you doing, it's you just simply resting in who God has made you in his son, making that choice of faith. And then letting that be what lives in your life, and then let that hope be your hope. My friend, you don't need to be discouraged by the world about you today. You need to rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let me offer you a free Bible study. We're about to run out of time here. A free Bible study entitled, Our Blessed Hope. The details of Christ coming for us and uh, uh, why and, and what's going to happen and so forth. How you can be sure of being a part of it. Our Blessed Hope. You call me here. Our toll-free number is 888-535-2300, 888-535-2300. I'll be glad to give you a free copy of the Bible study, Our Blessed Hope. 888-535-2300 is the number to call. If you'd prefer to write me, you can write me here at uh, The Riches of Grace, Post Office Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. That's Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. We're also on the Internet the World Wide Web, at graceimpact.org. That's one word, graceimpact.org. And uh, the easiest way to get us, of course, is just to call 888-535-2300. And if you don't want to talk to somebody, the Internet's the next easiest, graceimpact.org. And then if you, you know, you still want to use snail mail, P.O. Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 61108. I say all that because our desire is to be easy to be found. We want to be available to you to help you with understanding from God's Word. Our greatest desire is for you to have a gospel that you can believe, a Bible you can trust, 
and understand a study you can understand, a life you can live, and a purpose you can fulfill. That's what this ministry is about. And we're about trying to take God's Word and making it the source of life for you as your faith rests in an intelligent understanding of God's Word to you. This Bible study, Our Blessed Hope, I guarantee you, it'll thrill your soul. I'd like to give it to you. Again, 888-535-2300 is the number to call to receive the free Bible study, Our Blessed Hope. You know, my friend, if you've ever desired to be a really serious student of the Word of God, Grace School of the Bible is something you probably would want to consider. We have a three-year Bible Institute program. Now, you don't have to get all excited and move to Chicago or to Bloomingdale and and to be a part of it. We'll send the school to you by way of a video. It's on DVD. It's available for you to play on your computer and your, your DVD machine in your living room. You can matriculate through the school at your own pace. It's a three-year school, but uh, you can, you know, you can go through it um, according to your scheduling demands. The key to the school is that it doesn't follow the the standard systematic theology outline of a curriculum that you find in in most. In fact, I would have to say all, almost all, if not all, Bible institutes, Bible colleges, seminaries, and, and, and training. Most of the curriculum that you run across in Bible institutes and Bible colleges is based upon uh, the outline of systematic theology. Now, what systematic theology is, it's not a bad thing. It's just it's man's way of systematizing his understanding about God and about the Bible. That's why you study about theology and uh, anthropology, the study of man, theology, the study of God, uh, hematology, the study of, uh, of sin, soteriology, the study of uh, salvation, eschatology, the study of last things. There is an ology that, is, that I've never seen in a systematic theology course, and that is Israelology. <laughs> uh, most people don't understand the place and purpose of Israel and the plan and purpose of God, so that doesn't really appear. But when you study the Bible, and instead of using the, 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 the systematic theology approach, you, you use the, the Pauline design for the edification of the believer. It might surprise you to know that, uh, that the Apostle Paul, when he says rightly divide the word of truth, he actually tells you how to do it in Ephesians 2 and Romans 5. When he tells you that perfected saints do the work, are, are to do the work of the ministry. In other words, the pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, and so forth are for the perfecting of the saints, the maturing of the saints for the work of the ministry. Perfected saints are for the work of the ministry. You know, you get saved. I talked to a fellow just recently. He'd been saved about uh, eight months, and he's out teaching and preaching. And I said, well, how did you get the idea about going that? He says, well, you know, people, I, I've been called to preach and stuff. Well, some are called, some are sent, and some just packed up and went. And I'm afraid that's where that, that brother was. Because the first thing you need to do is become mature, perfected in the sense of maturity, grow up in an understanding, grow up into him, Ephesians 4.15 says in order that you might then go do the work of the ministry. One of the great banes of, uh, of Christendom today, and especially of evangelical fundamentalism, is that you got people out trying to do the work of the ministry that are not perfected themselves. They're just out running religious systems. Well, when Paul says, perfect the saints, and then the perfected saints will do the work of the ministry, and the work of the ministry will edify the body of Christ, how do you perfect saints? But Paul didn't say do it through systematic theology. In fact, there is a specific passage and a specific design, a three-step process, whereby Paul says you bring a person to maturity. First, it's, it's the issue of godly edifying. An edifice is a, is a structure. It's a building. You, you, you build an edifice. And you literally build a, a, an edifice of sound doctrine in the soul 
of an individual that then gives them the capacity to have that truth live out through them. You lay the foundation, you build a superstructure, you put the roof on. Now, there's a process whereby you do that in Scripture. You can have all the pieces of the house on the lot, but if they aren't put together according to the plan of the wise master builder, you only have stuff scattered around, and it looks more like a bomb's blown up than, than, than an edifice. If that's, if that's what you don't want, you don't want to just know a bunch of stuff, but you want to know how it fits together. That's what Grace School of the Bible is all about. If, you would, if you'd like, I'd be happy to send you some information about Grace School of the Bible to help you on your journey into perfection and to maturity as a believer. So you can stand on your own understanding of God's Word and then have that truth live out through you as your faith rests in an intelligent understanding of God's Word to you. If you'd like information about Grace School of the Bible, you call me, 888-535-2300, and I'll be glad to see that you get it. Also, when you call, ask the people that answer the phone about people in your area right here with this program, where you're listening to this program. There are people right here in this area that appreciate this ministry and this doctrine, this truth, this light and understanding, and they put this program on the air where you are. I'd like to tell you about them. They'd like, they'd like to know about you. You call us, 888-535-2300, and we'll give you that information. Any way you can, we can help you. If you have prayer requests, you call. We'll be glad to talk to you. Till next time, thanks for being with us today. Maranatha. Take the word with you wherever you go with our mobile app, thewordorlando.com. Alexa, tune in, iHeart, and radio.com. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Florida's most powerful voice in Christian talk radio. 50,000 watts. The new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. WTLN Orlando. W268CT Orlando. Where faith comes by hearing. Make It Clear Ministries has sponsored this Make It Clear broadcast.